Hi, I know I said in the last podcast I'd be back in a few days. Well, I'm back a little sooner than advertised. Sometimes the pod just can't wait. There's too much news. That reminds me of that fantastic quote by the great Chris Morris. I'm bursting with news. If you touch me, I'll explode. Well, there's not going to be any explosions on the pod, but we are going to talk about accents and names. The two stories really have very little in common, except that they both are about what is acceptable in one way or another. In the first case, it's more about what's socially acceptable. And in the second one, it's what's acceptable under the law. Over to the big show's Marco Werman. Let's get back to that Volkswagen Super Bowl ad now. You don't really expect to hear a white dude from Minnesota speaking Jamaican patois, do you? Hey, Dave, you're from Minnesota, right? Yes, I. The land of 10,000 lakes. The Gopher State. So in conclusion, things are pretty dismal. You know what this room needs? A smile. Who want to come with I? <laughs> kind of funny, but some critics wonder if a white actor mimicking a laid-back black Jamaican is more offensive than anything else. Karen Madden-James is a journalist with Radio Jamaica in Kingston. So how does the accent in the ad strike you, Karen? It's Jamaican patois, but does it sound like the speech of ordinary Jamaicans, or is it mimicking the way Americans think they speak? <laughs> not really. It's not very authentic, um, not to our ear at least, so the initial reaction is one of humor. Most people on hearing it the very first time, they laugh. Mm. They, they laugh, but they, they, they see it as an American white man <laughs> trying to speak Jamaican patois. And, and what do Jamaicans think of the politically correct reaction here in the U.S. that, you know, the ad smacks of, you know, racial stereotypes? Most people see that as an overkill, of course. Most people are thinking that maybe there are shades of... Uh, a stereotypical reaction in that, you know, Jamaicans are seen as lazy and that we are laid back kind of people that just wake up every morning and go to the beach. But mm. that, that's a further analysis. That's not the immediate reaction that comes to people's mind when they see the ad. You know, so most persons that certainly that I have heard, most it, it, has, it has taken to the talk shows and people have been talking about it on radio and on television and they see it as an affirmation of Jamaican identity. We see ourselves as, as our ability to recover from hardships, for instance. Most people see that as defining us as a resilient people, right? Most Jamaicans know that there are people who consider that island people that just wake up in the morning, smoke weed, and go to the beach. But they do not see the ad as racist. So, yes, some stereotypical elements, but not to the extent of being racist. But it's pretty amazing that people have gone on talk radio and it's uh, kind of taking up airspace uh, in, in Jamaica. It seems to have hit a nerve. I, I, I read a, uh, a comment from a white Jamaican comedian in London who said, we're just glad to have a Jamaican news story that doesn't involve ganja and gangsters. Ha has that touristy view of Jamaica also come up in the conversations you're hearing? It, it, it really does, because as you said, you alluded to it, the one-sided view of us um, as a violent people, that whenever the American or international media attention is turned to Jamaica, um, we, it usually is because of some negativity. It's usually typically incursion, people dying, people shooting, violence. 
So, yes, it's like a respite from that normal steady diet of violence that Jamaicans are portrayed into. Look here, they are focusing on our language, and our language mm-hmm. is part of what defines us. And mm-hmm. I have to say here, too, that because a lot, 90-odd percent of Jamaicans speak Jamaican Pato or Jamaican Creole, 90-odd percent of Jamaicans do, and that a lot of people who speak Jamaican Creole are made to feel that they are speaking an inferior language. So here it is now, big international firm, VW, on the perhaps the biggest watched stage in, in, on television, the NFL, are going to be using this ad. So people see that as a positive more than a negative. Now, just to bust the whole conceit that whites aren't supposed to sound like that, you actually uh, helped me out, Karen, the other day with some production in Kingston interviewing former Prime Minister Edward Siaga, who is a white man. So here he is talking about his concern about Jamaican music these days. Well, I'm concerned for it because we're getting feedback now out of Europe in particular that the acts that they're performing are not that popular anymore and they're overpriced. Right, so that's uh, former Prime Minister Edward Siaga, a white man. Uh, so you can sound Jamaican without being black. Karen, I guess if there is a center of Jamaican patois, it may be Trenchtown, one of Kingston's better-known neighborhoods. And I know there is Bob Marley's old home in Trenchtown, but is it the kind of neighborhood that's get- getting any tourists these days? Are they welcome there? Yes, um, of course, you know that generally speaking, when tourism is marketed internationally, it's usually for beaches and uh, um, coconut trees and so on. So the the issues such as Rastafarianism or music, reggae music, dancehall music, is just now being seen as another option. There are tourists who come to Jamaica, and that is what they want to see. They have heard about Bob Marley. They want to know where he was born, where was he raised, where did he play, where did he kick a ball, that sort of thing. So, yes, no, and Trenchtown has now accepted that, hey, Maybe we should start inviting people to come and see us, to come and see Jamaicans live in another way. That tourism is not just white sand beaches, but it's also actual living, breathing people, sitting down, having a conversation, playing football, playing music. Karen Madden-James, a journalist with Radio Jamaica in Kingston. Thank you very much for talking with me. Okay, let's head north now, a few thousand miles, to a country that has got very little in common with Jamaica, except that it's an island. And I think that for island nations, there's often a fiercer sense of of national identity. You're isolated by the ocean, not part of any large landmass. And so therefore your customs have grown up to some degree in isolation. That's the case in Jamaica, and it's also the case in Iceland. I love Iceland. It's just so raw, geologically, weather-wise too. And more than with most languages, Icelandic has grown up very much in isolation. So when the rest of the world elbows its way in linguistically, some Icelanders, they just say no. We're doing things our way. Don't mess with our language, even in how you name your own kids. So we have an interview on that subject of kid naming and an update after the interview. Back to the big show's Marco Werman. One of the great pleasures and challenges of becoming a parent is choosing a name. Do you honor family members, mimic celebrities, or somehow reflect your personality, or perhaps try to reflect the spirit of the times? Well, there are a few countries out there where many of those choices are, in fact, illegal. Take the case of a 15-year-old girl in Iceland. She's currently suing the government for the right to legally use the name given to her by her mother. Her name is Blair, which means light breeze in Icelandic. 
but it's not on the list approved by the government. Sven Gudmarsson is a reporter for the Icelandic National Broadcast Service. Sven, may I just say, first of all, that any name that means light breeze ought to be on the list. Um, tell me, though, why it's taken so long for her name to become an issue. I think it has something to do with the fact that she is now uh, becoming 15 years old, meaning that she is now applying for bank account and soon getting her driving license and so on. So, I mean, I think this has been a mild nuisance to her mother, but now this is becoming a real problem for her. Right, and she wants a name, presumably. What what name has Blair been using instead of Blair for all her 15 years? Unofficially, she is just called Blyde. Her friends call her Blyde. Oh, her family calls her Blyde. And, uh, what does the Icelandic uh, government call her? She's simply just called Girl. <laughs> really? Girl Björk's daughter. Oh, my gosh. So that Girl is, uh, and then her last name. Yeah. Why is Iceland so strict about the names it allows? I think it has partly something to do with some kind of like nationalist view that... Uh, the government and the authorities have been quite strict that Icelandic names must uh, be in line with the Icelandic grammar and pronunciation rules. So, uh, therefore, uh, a list has been compiled with approximately 2,000 male and 2,000 female names, which everybody must pick from. New names are continuously being added to the list, but Blair, the female version that is, has mm. not been approved simply because there is a male name also, which is incidentally Blyde. So therefore, uh, the law says that you cannot give a girl boy's name and vice versa. So therefore, this girl has not been allowed to be named Blyde. Because it's a boy's name? It is a boy's name, but it is also a girl's name, and uh, which is quite... Uh, uh, which is a curious fact that that has a different declination than the boys' version of, uh, of Blight. How, how old is this law? When did Iceland close the door on name creation? Well, this has always been rather strict, but uh, I think the current le- legislation is from the early 90s. So, in fact, uh, the legislation... The early 90s? I thought this is something that went back, like, I don't know, centuries. Yeah, uh, I, uh, at the time, the legislator said that uh, this was actually being too, uh, the, the, that they were actually uh, relaxing the law a little, a little bit because around this time, uh, we had quite a lot of, uh, like an influx of, of immigrants. So mm-hmm. that, that presented us with uh, new challenges when it came to names. Do, do but, people in Iceland generally support the law? Uh, yes and no. I think everybody more or less thinks that the you shouldn't be allowed to give your child any name. But this case, for instance, I think most people are very sympathetic to the girl mm. who's, who wants to name be named Blair. Right. And Blair is 15. Uh, has anyone else in Iceland ever successfully challenged this law before? Nobody has tried to take this uh, to court to challenge the decision of the, of the naming board. So this is a landmark case. But the uh, it is uh, interesting that uh, there have been other women called Blyde, so there are certainly precedents. Sven Gudmarsson with the Icelandic National Broadcast Service. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, now for the update. And guess what? She got her name. Earlier this week, the Reykjavik District Court ruled that Blyre can officially be called Blyre. Unless, of course, she wants to continue being referred to as Girl. She might have become attached to that name. Okay, I'll see you on Twitter. I tweet under the name Patricox, P-A-T-R-I-C-O-X, and that is not an official legal name in any country. We're also on Facebook. There's a World in Words page. 
or go to theworld.org slash language where you can see that VW Jamaican English Super Bowl ad. I'm not going to be back tomorrow, but I may be back next week. Till then, adieu. Hit me with you.